and just understand who we are as a people. You know, we don't we don't have information because we don't seek information. We perish for lack of knowledge. And we're talking about over 400 years of struggle. Welcome to Love Your Neighbor. In this episode, Reverend Ann Kirchmeyer speaks with Bishop Designate Gail Roberts House, recorded June 3rd, 2020. This is Pastor Gail Roberts House, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about who she is. Gail's the pastor of the Open Door Full Gospel Baptist Church in Hampton. Her background is in education. She has a master's in special education, computer education, and elementary school counseling. And she retired in 2009 after serving in the Hampton School District for 30 years as a teacher, a guidance counselor, and then eventually the principal of one of Hampton's elementary schools. Gail is a widow. She is the proud mother of a son and the loving mother-in-law of her daughter-in-law, and she's also the proud grandmother of two beautiful children. And Gail is my friend and my mentor. Um, I first met Gail a number of years ago in the um, pastor's dialogue about poverty, violence, and racism that's been happening for a number of years now in Newport News and Hampton. Um, I would say maybe four or five years ago, Gail and I got together for lunch. We were in that dialogue, we were encouraged to get together with people that we didn't know who didn't look like us. And um, Gail and I ended up meeting for lunch and have continued to do that for all these years, every month. Um, we also have some other friends we now meet with. And of course, right now we're doing those meetings on Zoom because we uh, can't meet in person. Um, but Gail has been with me um, at birthday parties at my house. Gail came to the funerals of both of my parents. And Gail was with us at St. Andrews for our celebration of new ministry um, in 2017. So I wanted to give you a little sense of who this wonderful woman is um, as I invite her into some conversation. I am, you know, so appalled and, and heartsick about the murder of George Floyd, and I'm also aware that that's not a one-off incident. It is a laying bare of racism that has been going for years and years. And so I, Gail, I just, I, as you know, I had some questions that I wanted to ask you, just starting with, how are you? Good. Well, hi, Anne. Um, thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this. Um, it's wonderful to know that the two of us are great friends. Uh, I call you my sister friend. Uh, and, and, and that's real special because we met and we connected and God has just blessed us to be able to communicate with each other and to share those highs and lows in our lives. And so it's just wonderful. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to share uh, my feelings, uh, my frustrations, just, um, just, just, you know, how I'm feeling around this time. So um, yeah. as a mother of a, um, a, a almost 40 year old son, I have lived in, um, I, can't, I can't say I, I've lived in fear. I've lived in major concern about my child, his safety and his welfare from the time he was old enough 
to go to uh, a public school. Chris was in a private a Christian school from kindergarten, early kindergarten, preschool rather, till the end of fifth grade. Sixth grade, he went to a middle school, a public middle school. And at that time, um, I realized that my, um, my prayer life became much more intent about his safety. Um, this was probably 89, let's see, 99, 2000 or so, I guess. And because I realized that there were some things that were happening with African-American men uh, and the police that were not safe. Um, those, those were the years when the kids used to like to go to the malls when we had malls. I would never let Chris go to the mall because we knew that anytime there were groups of African-American boys together, it was suspect for any policeman. And we knew that even there could be a group of white boys together, not a problem. They could have on kerchiefs, they could be carrying whatever, but a group of black boys, they were eyeballed for trouble. It was just the, the sense of the time. And from then on, it has been that way. And now it seems like uh, there are more things that are happening. There are more things that are obvious. So even though my child, he will always be my child, will be 40 years old in November, I fear for him being stopped by the police. Um, I fear for what they will say to him, what they may do to him. So we have codes and rules that I've had to give my child that I'm sure other nationalities and ethnicities have never had to do. Uh, my husband and I, before his demise, we had to sit down and give Chris instructions. Uh, if you are stopped by a policeman, these are the things you do. Never, if, they, if the car is behind you and you're in a dark location, go drive until you get to a location where there is well lit and there are other people who are witnesses uh, because we wanted to make sure he was not in, in an isolated situation because we would be fearful of what would happen. So I've lived with this um, as a mother of an African-American male child uh, all my life. And I'm sure I will have this feeling until I leave this world because he is uh, quite outspoken. Um, he's a person who believes in what he believes, probably got a lot of that, you know, from his mom, who was just real transparent and candid. Um, and he, he wants, wants other people to know, I am an important person. I'm well educated, he has a college degree, he's a worship leader, he loves God, he's a great husband, a great father. Um, and not to create, a, you know, a, suspe a suspicion in a person before you even get to know them. So I live with this daily, Anne. So it's a, a part of me, as I said, that I will, it will remain with me. But my prayer is that we can come together at some point and at least bring some kind of solution or to begin to bring a solution to this situation. You're making me think, Gail, I, um, your daughter-in-law, Shanika, posted a, a really um, heart-wrenching post on Facebook that I actually referenced in an earlier video here where she talks about the amazing person that Chris is in the same way you just did. And then in essence says, please don't shoot him. Please don't. Yeah. Him. Um, and I, you know, I was thinking about, I've never in my life had to post a video like that, nor thought about it about my husband. Right. Um, and so that really struck me. Yeah. So you've, You've answered kind of, but you, unless you wanted to say more about what the current situation is like for you and your family right now. You, anything else yeah. You yeah, I can add to that. Right now, it, uh, because of so many incidents that have occurred 
so quickly, so frequently. Um, it's like, along with the <laughs> coronavirus and everybody being, you know, sheltered in, um, people are, at least African-Americans, are very much frustrated and overwhelmed. Um, schools were closed. So that meant children were at home. The, we have parents who were not prepared at all for children to be at home and to be so, um, you know, self-taught. Uh, homeschooling is not something that Black Americans do. Um, we go to school. <laughs> there are some, of course, that do, but most African-American parents work. Um, they have to work. They have to bring the income in in order to live and to live a decent life. So our world has been overturned completely. And then not to be able to go to church, okay? Not to be able to assemble together. In Black America, the church has been our sacred place to gather together, to lift voices, to praise God, to be thankful. So to have to reorganize and restructure um, a virtual church, to have to be at home without having places to go, without maybe some persons lo losing their jobs or being on furlough and working at home. That's so different, to have the children at home. So for all of that, plus these incidences that have occurred back to back, uh, the young man in Georgia that was like chased down, Yes. Um, you know, the young lady in, in Central Park who, I mean, she would make a phone call and, you know, she knew it was a calling card if she said this man was intimidating her or harassing her and her dog. And all he was doing was asking her to put a leash on her dog, which was the rule of the park. Then for um, the, the whole situation with George Floyd, uh, the knee in the neck and the this officer with his hands in his pocket there and another officer looking at him and doing nothing. And then a few days later, we see on point, on site, we're looking, I'm looking at CNN and I, I, I see a, a um, reporter. He is arrested in front of the camera while he's doing an interview. And he's telling the gentleman, I'm a part of the CNN news, I'm a newscaster, this is my crew. And the policeman, it was like no regard for that. He was an African-American male standing there so they handcuff him and take him away so at this point there are too many things that are just blatantly racist and things have to change we've known racism has been there all the time it's, it's been there but it's been subtle but now it's like anything goes so it's now time for all of us to own it all of us to say it's time to make a change and it's time for white america to own what they like, what they dislike, and say, we are all God's children, and we need to do something about this. It, it bothers me, and um, that's why I'm so appreciative for you and I having this conversation. It bothers me that white clergy have not taken a stand. Um, I, I haven't seen or heard you know, anyone saying, we need to do something about this. This is not fair. This is not just, we just, we want this to change. So that sends a message to the black community um, it, and it's not a positive one. Right, the silence. Is and it's not our burden. It's, it's, it's no longer our burden. We should not have to fight forever. It's not our burden. So it's time for white America to make some decisions and own it and say, what are we going to do to make this a better place for all of us? Because the strengths that we bring, the gifts and talents that we have, we can make this a better world for everyone. I, what, what I have to offer doesn't take away from you. 
what you have to offer doesn't take away from me. The more, the better. We can work together and it could be such a, a much better world, a better sense of the way God wants us to be. Right, the God who created us in all these different shades. So you've, you've touched on this a little bit. I've been thinking about the word allies. How can white people, you know, white Christians, as you know, my congregation is mostly white. We, we do have a couple of folks of color, but we are predominantly white. Um, right. So we're people of privilege, whether we're aware of it or not, but the, right. You know, the kinds of the conversation you were talking about having to have with your son about how to behave if the police pull him over so that his life isn't in danger yeah. is not a conversation that people who look like me need to be yeah. having with their children. Yes. So, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm so aware about privilege and um, the, the ease with which somebody who looks like me can look away from what's happening because it's not happening to us. Right. Um, although in some sense it's happening to our souls while we're letting, you know, <laughs> while we're letting stuff happen. But do you have words for white Christians about specifically, I mean, you've, you've already said some of that, so it's not that I'm not hearing what you're saying, but anything for white Christians as we try to figure out how to be allies and mm -hmm. walk with you. Okay, excuse the noise. Uh, my neighbor decided he was gonna do his lawn as I came out here. So, <laughs> okay, um, okay. I think, I, I, I'm pretty sure sometimes white America doesn't always realize the struggle that a black American has. I think sometimes when um, they see us at work in our, on our jobs, they see the professional, they see the person who lives in a nice neighborhood, they see the nice car. So we're equal, you know, so I'm, I, they might be saying, so what's the problem? There's not a problem, you know, we're all okay. But what they don't see is the struggle that it took for us to get there. I've always felt like, and I have several degrees, consider myself a, a, a you know, a, a intelligent, highly intelligent female who's awesome. had a wonderful career um, and so I've always been taught, though, that I had to be 200% better than my yes. white counterpart. Yes. So I have always, you know, was always a great student, always studied hard, always made sure that I, everything I did was of excellence because to my family, it was, it was important for us to make sure that our name was great. And then there are other um, white people, I think, um, and that just want to disregard it. It's like, um, like you say, it's not happening to me. It doesn't bother me. So why should I worry about it? So what I would like to say to white Christians would be, it's time for you to learn about who we are as black Americans. Uh, a simple conversation, like the way we started, uh, just simple to get to know each other, communicate with each other, find someone that doesn't look like you, have lunch with them. Um, just sit down and get to know who they are. So I get to know about you, uh, how far you've traveled, what about your, things about your family, uh, your gifts, your talents. And you get to know about me, my family, what's important to me, what I enjoy, what my hobbies are. Just get to know each other. And if we took the time to know each other, we'd realize that, you know, we're human. And we're all God's children. And then the other piece of it is to know me well enough to say, what is it that I can do so we can make this a better place to be? What can I do? What can I say? 
what do I have to own up to? What, what can I share with my other Christian brothers and sisters so that they understand you better? They know who you are um, and just understand who we are as a people. You know, we don't, we don't have information because we don't seek information. We perish for lack of knowledge. And we're talking about over 400 years of struggle. And many persons in white America have only known black Americans as slaves or uh, they are just superior. Um, they haven't been treated fairly. And it was almost like that was the way it was supposed to be. But that is not the way God has made us. He's made us all human. We're, we're all his creatures. He loves us all and has given all of us talents. So I guess what I'm saying is get to know the person, find someone, be intentional about finding someone who doesn't look like you, get to know who they are, and then talk about those things. What is it that makes you feel the way you do? You know, uh, you've heard that rioting is really um, the voices of those persons who have felt like they haven't been heard. Yes. In those cases, government comes through uh, African-American neighborhood and, you know, the infrastructure just takes over the homes and businesses. Um, then we find we don't have the better schools in some places. It's taken away their businesses, their goals, their economic sustainability. When you take that away from a person, they have nothing left. Right, and no wonder they're angry, yes. Exactly, exactly. So there's it's anger, it's frustration, it's overwhelming, then it's hurt. Uh, why, why should I feel like I'm not worthy? You know, what is it about me because the color of my skin that makes you not want to be around me? Or to think that you haven't gotten, you, gotten, you haven't gotten to know me well enough to even know who I am as a person. And that's hurtful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to do some artificial jump here. But my, the other question that, I, that we had um, was, so what, if anything, gives you hope in this current situation? Things like this conversation, Anne, for you to have been bold enough and courageous enough to say, let's have this conversation. I need to know how you're feeling about this. And as an African-American mother who has an African-American son, what does this mean to you? How do you feel about it? You took the time to ask me and I get emotional about it all because you took the time to ask. You took the time to say, what is it that we can do? You acknowledged it. That, that's the first step. Acknowledge that there's something wrong. Acknowledge that there's something that must be done. Acknowledge that we have to move further we cannot continue like this. We cannot live in a world where I feel like um, my son is gonna be hurt, that he's, he's not safe when he drives down the street, that if, if the policemen stop him, they're not gonna be kind to him. They're not gonna give him an opportunity to say what he needs to say. Um, he's not gonna be treated fairly. So it's about making policies. Um, and white America can do that. White America needs to own it, needs to acknowledge it and change policies or introduce policies and procedures to talk about it. It hasn't been talked about, Anne. It's like persons, they know about it, but nobody voices it. Nobody says anything about it. So it's now time for white America to speak up, to speak out and say, we have been wrong in so many cases. We acknowledge the fact um, that we have done these things 
we apologize and we want to make it better. But not just talk about it, but do something about it. And law, laws can be changed. Or lawmakers can speak up. Citizens can speak up. Persons in, in Christian congregations can speak up. Uh, we need to have partners in this with us, not that we're the lesser of the two. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that makes good sense. Gail, I love you. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> um, would it be okay for us to spend some time praying together? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let us pray. Holy God, I thank you for my sister Gail, for her courage and willingness to be vulnerable and share what this is like for her. And Lord, I ask for me and for those members of my parish and actually for this whole country, Lord God, that those of us who lives are not shaped and threatened by the prejudice that our sisters and brothers of color are experiencing, that we may, in fact, listen, pay attention, seek and carry out ways to make this a more just and more compassionate society. Mm. And I pray for healing for our brothers and sisters of color in all of the abuses that they have experienced and also healing for those of us who, some of us intentionally and some of us unintentionally are contributing to the problem, not the solution. I ask God for your help and guidance for all of us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for the opportunity to even have the discussion. Thank you for my good sister friend and who is courageous enough for God to acknowledge that there is a problem, to acknowledge that we do have feelings, to acknowledge that as an African-American friend, we can come together and have an open, very open, candid, transparent discussion. Thank you, O oh God, for her will to want to make change and that knowing that she is over a parish, that she can then share her concerns with those who she governs. I thank you, God, for living in a world where we have the opportunity to be free and to use a free will. But I also thank you for giving us the opportunity to be as children of God. Thank you, God, for allowing this privilege for us to openly have a conversation. God, we need more times like this. We need more opportunities like this. God, I ask the complete healing of those families of my ancestors and those who have died for the cause. I ask you, God, for protection over our African-American communities and all communities of color. I ask you for protection for those who don't even look like me, God, that you will continue to protect them, to guide them, to redirect their thoughts for those who intentionally and unintentionally have done and said things who were hurtful, that were frustrating, that were overwhelming for those of us who are, who are in that place, in that position. So God, thank you for building us up. Thank you for making this an opportunity for us to do better in the midst of a pandemic. Thank you for letting us be shut down, to be shut in, to be able to reflect and see that you are still God 
and with you there is none other. We know that you have a solution to it all. So thank you for giving us guidance that we can work together and be as the disciples that you would have us be and to move forward as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine Kingdom and the, the power, power and the glory forever. forever. Amen. So, listener, what are you thinking and feeling right now? What do you need to acknowledge? Who do you need to have a conversation with? What information do you need to seek? It has been over 400 years of struggle, but the time to end it is now. Gail said that we all have the gifts and talents, and it is all of us using those talents that makes this world better. So how can you use your gifts and talents to oppose racism? Racism manifests itself in so many ways in our world that we need all of our diverse talents to overcome. And most of all, we need God's help to bring out the best in each and every one of us. So this week, be mindful. Seek information. Let God show you how you can use your gifts and talents. And join us in episode two as we invite God into our hearts and minds through Centering Prayer. <laughs>